When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Tom Piccolo for Talking Knicks, and I'm going solo for a quick add-on game recap here uh, following the Knicks' loss in Cleveland on Sunday evening where they lost 108-121 to the Cavs. Uh, Kenny and I recorded Sunday morning to give kind of a more big-picture look at the the start of the season, and I don't think that uh, last night really contradicted any of that conversation, so definitely go give that a listen if you haven't already. But first, I just want to give a quick kind of game recap here. Um, You know, last night, if you're going to pick one thing, Donovan Mitchell was just unstoppable. Um, I'd say to start the game defensively, the Knicks game plan was to like try and throw a bunch of different defenders at him. Um, Evan Fournier got some time on him. Brunson did RJ too. And nothing really worked from that starting unit. Maybe not overly surprising, right? Like that's kind of one issue with the Knicks starting lineup is, their perimeter defenders are a little uh, lacking. So, you know, when you have someone come through like Donovan Mitchell, who can really, you know, feast on, against the best defenses, it's uh, it's maybe not shocking that last night transpired the way it did. Um, Mitchell finished with 38 points, 12 of 20 from the field. He was 8 of 13 from three, which is a kind of a theme that we're going to see throughout this game. But he also finished with 12 assists. So if he wasn't scoring himself, he was setting up teammates um, but like I said, it, it's hard to pinpoint kind of one individual to, to blame Donovan Mitchell going off. It's even if you look at the first three threes that, that Donovan hit in that first quarter, the first one Fournier was just sagging off too far and it was just an easy three uh, for Donovan Mitchell. The second three Brunson bit on a pump fake and didn't have the length to recover on that. So it was just kind of like a one dribble pull up from Mitchell. And then the third one Brunson called for a switch. He took RJ's man, told RJ to go get his man, Donovan Mitchell. RJ didn't get the memo, and it ended up in a wide open three. And I'd say that that last one, the just the, the breakdown in execution, the lack of communication, the lack of cohesion on defense, um, that was kind of the most rampant reason for the Knicks' loss in this one. Um, I think, you know, if you go to uh, the fourth quarter, this is kind of where this game was decided. The Knicks were actually winning by nine going into the fourth quarter and then got outscored 37 to 15 in the final period. And you just saw a lot of those defensive breakdowns. Kevin Love in particular, uh, he also went eight of 13 from three. Uh, The Cavs as a team hit 23 of 50, which is just an absurd clip. Um, I know uh, Jonathan Macri in his Knicks Film School newsletter uh, said that this was the 23 made threes is the second most that the Knicks have ever given up as a franchise. So, you know, that's not what you want. <laughs> that it's, it's tough to kind of come back from that. But Kevin loves eight threes in just 22 minutes. It's a combination of a lot of things. Again, there were several times in the third period when Obi Toppin was just just fell asleep. Like Obi Toppin's not a talented enough defender to to get away with with a lack with lapses in um, you know attention to detail, and so that was disappointing to see. Um, 
but it was it was everybody like I know Julius no matter who was defending Kevin Love they're putting him in pick and pop actions the the Knicks were kind of refusing to switch those and so I know Benji Ritholtz also of, of Knicks film school and the Strickland he was um, talking about this a lot on Twitter during the game look we all know by now and I said this in our kind of overarching podcast that we recorded earlier with Kenny Julius Randle isn't a great drop big. He's not, you know, he's not going to kind of hedge and recover back to his man in a pick and pop situation either. He's best suited to switch. And that's not what, that's not the scheme. That's not Tibbs game plan. And as a result, when you get these bad matchups, like a Kevin Love or a Dean Wade, these power forwards who can really, really hit from three, like that's, that's going to be the result. Dean Wade, the other guy (laughs) hit six of eight from three. So between Donovan, Kevin Love, and Dean Wade, they weren't missing from behind the arc. You know, some of that is bad luck on the Knicks part. Obviously, like they don't hit 46% from three every night. But at the same time, there were also a lot of lot of open looks, a lot of lack of communication, lack of execution on the defensive end. And you know, it's kind of boring to to pinpoint that as the reason for the loss, but it's kind of hard to to look anywhere else. When you uh, when you're outscored from behind the arc, 23 threes to 10. That's that's a lot of that's a lot of points to give up from behind the arc in today's game. So, um, I you know, kind of looking a little bigger picture, is it surprising that the that the Knicks lost to Cleveland? Hardly. I think that even without Darius Garland, the Cavs have more talent. Um, it's it's a little disappointing the way that it happened in the, in the fourth quarter, the kind of utter collapse, the inability to get stops or score um, in crunch time in particular. That's kind of something that we were hoping was remedied a bit with Jalen Brunson's addition. Uh, Brunson struggled, particularly in the first half. He really tried to get himself going. Couldn't, couldn't hit anything in that first half. He finished the game eight of 19 from the field, eight of 16 from two point range. So 50% from two, that's fine. He he wasn't hitting from uh, from deep, but he finished with 16 points, seven assists, and just one turnover. You know that that's not a terrible game for him statistically, but he didn't really have the impact or the steady hand that we typically see. Um, it didn't seem like the the Knicks offense was getting organized in the same way that we saw against you know those three wins at home against the kind of lesser teams. Um, and instead, we are seeing much more Julius Randle, a Julius Randle centric offense. And he was very aggressive. He was, you know, very much going at Evan Mobley. He was using his strength and savvy to, to get some good looks. But at the same time, you know, he finished five of 13 from the field. Again, five of 10 from two. So he also shot 50% from two, but couldn't hit from deep. Kind of a theme going on here. Um, but the biggest thing for Randall was he actually just went five of 10 from the free throw line. Like he was getting, you know, Evan Mobley had five fouls. He was getting fouls against these other bigs but he wasn't able to convert at the, at the line. And that's, you know, as a team, the Knicks just shot eight of 16 from the free throw line. It's not going to get it done most nights. And we know last year free throw shooting was a bugaboo of this team. And, uh, and we're kind of hoping to put that behind us this season. So uh, this is just something to keep an eye on, but, you know, I, I talked to Kenny earlier and I said that a good sign for Julius Randall was the, that he was recording, he was tallying fewer assists per game because it just meant that the offense was less re- revolving around him 
and was more um, on the shoulders of Jalen Brunson. But this game was kind of a reversion back to last season in a way where Randall was really the focus. Like he, he had seven assists in this one, same as Brunson. He had four turnovers. So he just had a, high, a very high usage in this game. Wasn't terribly efficient. He finished with 15 points, nine boards, seven assists, um, and a couple steals. It was, it was an okay game. I, you know, the, the mentality, the aggressiveness was there. But, um, you know, I, I just don't know that he's, that Julius Randle is suited to have the offense run through him. Um, you know, I, I think it's got to go through Brunson and, and ideally it would go a little bit more through RJ, but RJ, this was far from his worst game of the season. He's like Kenny and I discussed at length. He has really struggled through the first five games in this one. He started pretty hot. Like he, he hit a couple threes in that first quarter. He had a nice uh, drive to the left where he, he it was honestly a, a pretty difficult finish. You never really know what to make. When make of it when RJ hits a tough layup because it's like does that just encourage him to take more tough layups? Does it show improved touch? It's you know for me I'm a little ambivalent when I see something like that. But you know RJ in the first half I think showed a good amount of aggressiveness, and I'm not exactly sure what happened because in the second half he was mostly looking to pass and and look I've been calling for him to to look for passes on his drives. But the problem was, is he wasn't really drawing attention on the drives. He was just kind of driving almost just to do it and and then looking to pass before the defense really even reacted to his drive. Um, I think I think I saw somewhere he only took one shot in the fourth quarter. Um, I'd have to double check that, but it was not very many. He was not highly used in that second half. He finished the game with 15 points, six of 10 from the field. Uh, it was a relief to see him go three of four from deep because it's been such a struggle for him. Again, though, just two assists, and this is a guy who there's no re- he he drives so frequently. There's no reason that he's not able to get three, four, or five assists a night. Um, you know, obviously players are missing shots, but you know RJ's game, I, I'd say, was just an average one. It wasn't a particularly strong one, though it was better than we'd seen in a, in the games previous. Um. You know, just I'd say that maybe the, one of the biggest reasons for the Knicks' struggles defensively was Mitchell Robinson. He only played 21 minutes. It was another game where he saw himself in foul trouble a lot. Granted, the Cavs' front line is is big between Jared Allen and Evan Mobley. Like these are are pretty skilled guys. Evan Mobley in particular can stretch the floor too. But look. Mitchell Robinson was just kind of making some bad plays. He was he had some fouls that were just head scratchers, just showing um, just not not smart plays. And he finished just two of six from the field, seven boards, four points, no blocks, which is you know I think he was came into this game second in the league in, in blocks per game. So he didn't really have much of an impact at all in this one. And it's disappointing to see because we saw him really dominate some of those lesser teams in the Orlando Charlotte games in particular. And he, the last couple of games, Milwaukee and, and Cleveland against the better competition, he hasn't really showed up. So um, that's just kind of another thing to, to keep an eye on just to see how Mitchell Robinson's able to adjust his game to step up against these, these better teams. Cause so far he's, he's kind of been a disappointment in these, these tougher games. So you know, between the Grizzlies, the Bucks, and the Cavs, Mitchell Robinson has pretty much been a non-factor in those three. And then the three big wins against lesser competition, he's been very good. Um, 
looking at the bench, I didn't really talk about Evan Fournier just because he is what he is at this point. He's going to hit threes. He's not going to play, you know, all that great defense. I think that he did get into some guys' jerseys. Uh, Karis Levert is a nice cover for him. Um, but he had no chance against Donovan Mitchell. Like, I think we all knew that. And anytime there was a switch, if Evan Fournier found himself on a bigger body, that wasn't going to go well. Uh, he's just not an impact player. He doesn't play with the force that we need. I've said all this before. Um, he doesn't, he shouldn't be in the starting lineup anymore. Speaking of guys who probably should be in the starting lineup, I'd say that um, Emmanuel quickly, he just played 19 minutes in this one. Uh, the, it's hard because people think of him as just a score for shoot first, you know, scoring specialist. And so when his shots don't drop, like they didn't last night, he was just two of seven from the field, one of four from three. It's easy to make the argument like, oh, he did not have a good game. But there's something that happens when he's on the court that, you know, he's always looking to push. We saw him throw some hit-ahead passes, one in particular to Obi that just had perfect touch on it, maybe in the best pass of the season. Um, and and it leads to a lot of easier buckets because this this Knicks half-court offense has a, has a pretty low ceiling. And so they got to get out in transition. That's why it's important when guys like Derrick Rose and Emmanuel quickly come in, they really push the pace. Um, Hartenstein's looking for outlets. Cam Reddish is looking to get out and run like that second unit, obviously Obi Toppin, like the second unit's really good looking to get out and run. Um, the problem with them was just a lack of defense. Um, not particularly surprising though, you know, Tibbs kind of does the whole, um, kind of like hockey substitution things. You see whole unit switches at times and that second unit doesn't have a bunch of great defenders. Derek Rose, I think in particular has really struggled on the defensive end I don't really know what's going on with him. He's not hes not playing much help defense. He's just not in the right places. He looks like the game's moving too fast for him out there, which is, you know, Derrick Rose, never a great one-on-one defender, but in under Tom Thibodeau, he's been workable. He's known where to be. He's like, he competes. It feels so far to start this season. He's really struggled on that end. Um, Hartenstein is just too small, really, to to go against some of these these Jared Allen, Evan Moby sized bigs. Um and so like the Knicks really suffer on the on the offensive glass. We saw that against Milwaukee. There was some of that going on again last night. Um uh, in key moments Kevin Love was coming up big. Uh Cam Reddish, I will say I look I'm just not I am not convinced that Cam Reddish deserves to be in the rotation. I think I mean right now with Grimes out, it we have no one else, so that's fine. But he had some really head-scratching plays. He, he finished the game 3-6 from the field, 7 points. But, you know, his misses are, are the ones that Mike Breen just says, like, that was a terrible shot. And he, it's not like Mike Breen's always putting players on blast like that. Um, and then Top and I talked a little bit about he's able to get in transition, hit a 3 his problem again was was defense and also turnovers. He had three turnovers like consecutively and they were all kind of just mental lapses. They, they really were almost unforced in a way. Uh, so yeah, it was probably Obi Toppin's worst game of the season so far. He only played 15 minutes. Look, I, I said before, like I, I bet I put my chip on the over for 20 minutes per game on Obi. That is looking like my worst prediction I could have made. It's simply not going to happen. Not with this coach. 
with the kind of rigidity and lack of flexibility in his lineups, in his rotations. It's just not going to happen. Should it have happened in this one? You know, maybe a few more minutes, but it's not like Obi was killing it out there. Um, no one really was. Like defensively, this the team really struggled to get stops, and that was really the, the story of the game. So I think that's all I kind of want to get into on this one. Uh, I, I don't want to really dive into the whole Donovan Mitchell, what if you were a Nick stuff that's inevitably going to come from every single time Donovan Mitchell plays the Knicks. Um, look, he was – really good. He was, he was as advertised. He, he came in and he was breaking down our defense. He was getting into the paint. He was finding the shooters. He was orchestrating the offense. He looked really good. Um, and so I, I kind of, I will just say like, I know that the Cavs are kind of more, um, they were just in a better position to trade for Mitchell and like actually not, maybe not even contend, but, but really compete at the upper levels of the Eastern conference if Donovan Mitchell were on this Knicks team with several of the miss, missing pieces that would have been required to trade for him, I don't think that this Knicks team would have been all that good um, or set up for success long-term, but it is, it's a tough pill to swallow when you see Donovan Mitchell come out, go eight for 13 from three and just light us up. He had that one highlight kind of spin move dunk in traffic. That was just nasty. Um, and yeah, between him and Kevin Love, it was just, uh, <laughs> it, was, it was a tough one. It was tough sledding for the Knicks. But, hey, I think um, in the weeks coming, there's, there's some uh, some winnable games. I think we've got the Atlanta Hawks on Wednesday. And, um, again, that's not, a, that's not a layup by any means. That, that's a good Hawks team. But I do think that it's, it's going to be winnable. It's at the Garden, so that's always helpful. Um, it's been good to see the Knicks take care of business at home so far this season. I hope that continues. Um, so we've got three games before the next time we pod. That's going to be the the Hawks at Knicks. Then uh, the Knicks will go to Philadelphia to play the 76ers. And then we'll host the Celtics at home. I like that. It's a tough week. It is a tough week. Um, even though the Sixers have been struggling, that's a very talented team. I could see the Knicks going one and two here. Uh, I'd like to think they'd win a game at home, likely against Atlanta. And then on the road against the 76ers and then at home against Boston, those are going to be tough. You know, so I'll probably pick one and two to go the rest of the week. And I don't think that that is a disaster by any means. The schedule will lighten up here eventually. <laughs> and so we can uh, we can all look forward to that. But, I mean, this is a likely a 500 team through six games. It is three and three. That shouldn't be a surprise. They've beaten the teams they're supposed to beat. They've lost to the teams we kind of all would have expected them to lose. And uh, you know, that's... That's kind of the story of the season so far. But what we're going to keep looking for is development. We need to see R.J. Barrett play better. That's like kind of the most important thing this season. Um, we want to see Jalen Brunson get back to his his ways. I think he he struggled kind of the last two games. But, um, you know, some of the shots that he always hits weren't falling. But between uh, Brunson and R.J. and then Randall, like those are our three best players. They got to play better. That's that's how this team's going to win. So, you know, really trenchant analysis there. Um, and hey, we're going to talk to you guys. Like I said, Talking Knicks is back. We're going to come back with more content. We'll have some video content as well. Follow us on Twitter at Talking Knicks on Instagram. You can follow me at Tom underscore Piccolo. And hey, we appreciate you. And we will talk to you soon. Let's go, Knicks. Okay. Welcome back to Talking Knicks. 
Uh, we are officially back. We we had we had some tech issues, but those are are now solved. We even have a YouTube page now where we'll be putting full shows and episode highlights. Uh, but the point is, we're here. The Knicks are playing basketball games, so we're here to talk about them. Let's do it. Let's talk Knicks. All right, I'm Tom Piccolo. I'm joined by my friend and co-host Kenny Poon. Kenny, what's happening? Hey, Tom, how you doing? Uh, good to good to be talking to you. I think uh, this is our usual recording time on a, a Sunday, but I feel like we're we're earlier than normal. Uh, it's it's just before eleven a.m. I feel like we usually do this later in the evenings. Yeah, uh, no, you're so right. We uh, I, we. We should say we are recording this segment uh, of the show on Sunday before the Cavaliers game. Um, we will have a different segment reacting to that game. Um, and if, if you're listening to this, you might have just listened to that already. But this discussion is going to be more of a kind of state of the union, big picture, start of the season show. Um, and yeah, so I mean, the Knicks right now are, are three and two as we're speaking. Um, but listeners will know whether the team is now 500 or four and two. But either way, uh, yeah, Kenny, how are you feeling to, to start the season? Uh, so far, I mean, I, I think this is – I have a very positive uh, feeling about the season. I think you and I talked offline about um, – I feel like there's a lot of kind of uh, – it, it, a little reactionary. Every time the Knicks win, people are really pumped up, and every time the Knicks lose, people are really down and critical about it. But overall, like – the Knicks won the three games you would have wanted them to win, and they lost the two games you thought they would probably lose. So, like, I can't be too upset about it, you know? How about you, Tom? Yeah, I think in terms of the strictly the results, um, it's it's hard to complain, right? They, they Like you said, they won the games they were supposed to win, uh, all three at home, which you love to see, because last year the Knicks were actually a worse home team than they were an away team. So it's good to see them defending the garden, especially against lesser opponents, um, I think that, you know, if you if you were to sort of put the results aside and just kind of look at the process of each game, maybe there are some nits to pick, and I'm sure we'll get into them. But, uh, I mean, we can go through it real quick. Just the, the Knicks lost the season opener 112 to 115 in overtime uh, in Memphis to the Memphis Grizzlies. You know, that was a Grizzlies team that didn't have Jaron Jackson Jr. Uh, they didn't have Dylan Brooks. They're, they're a little banged up, but, you know, either way, they still had John Morant. Right, they still had uh, some very good players, so I think the fact that they're able to to take them to overtime and kind of narrowly lose there is tough to complain about. To your point, and then came the three-game winning streak at home. You had the 130-106 win versus Detroit in the home opener, a 115-102 win versus the Orlando Magic. Who did they get their first win last night? They might have. Um, they were winless when we played them. But they ha- they've been frisky. Like they've definitely been competitive in the games they've played. They're now one in five. So yep, they they finally got that elusive first win. And then there was a one thirty four one thirty one victory versus a very depleted Charlotte Hornets team in overtime. You know, you you could have some qualms that it took overtime to beat that version of the Charlotte Hornets. But I mean, a win is a win, as we know. Um, and then the and then the 108 119 loss to the Bucks that I think was actually you know it was even though the Knicks remained competitive they uh, never really challenged to, to win to win that game uh, it never really felt like it was in doubt um, having watched it but yeah so Kenny I, I'm curious 
of those five games I just mentioned, which one do you think we learned the most from? Um, I know that you just moments ago said that the people might have qualms about the, the Charlotte win. Um, but I was, I, I think towards the end of that game, you saw something that you didn't see from the next last year. Uh, there was a point where they were down, I think five with probably less than two minutes to go. And in previous years, you would have thought, all right, that's it. They're, they're not coming back from this. They had, uh, I believe had the, the lead for most of the game. And then Charlotte took a five point lead. And you, you know, I personally like, being a Knicks fan, I know from history that that probably doesn't end well. Uh, but the Knicks, they they came back from that five-point deficit to force overtime, and then they won in overtime, which is a huge difference from from prior years. And I think you know, a big part of that is kind of the steady play of Jalen Brunson, the point guard. Uh, he was such a, a big part of that, hitting – he hit a big – I think he hit the game tying three, and he had a lot of you know big plays in overtime and, and down the stretch uh, in terms of setting the teams up. You know, I know in overtime he had that, that very nice assist to Mitchell Robinson, just wide open under the basket. And that's something, again, that the Knicks haven't had in a very long time. And, you know, having that calming presence when uh, kind of things are, are kind of going awry is, is huge. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how that kind of uh, plays out over the course of the season. Yeah, man, you nailed it. Like the, that, even though I kind of played devil's advocate, sort of downplaying that Charlotte win a little bit, that's the one I identified too as the, the most important win so far in the season. And, and to your point, it's because of Jalen Brunson. Um, you know, there were points, I mean, flat out the, the Knicks last year were the worst crunch time team in the league. Statistically, that was a team that fell apart whenever the chips were down. They didn't have someone you could trust to go get a bucket, to go create offense for themselves or others. Um, and this year is entirely different. That's the biggest shift that we've seen in this team from last year to this year. You know, there was a, a point in that Charlotte game in crunch time when the, the Hornets went to get the ball out of Brunson's hands and they trapped him off a pick and roll. And, and Brunson did give it up at one point and it turned out very poorly for the Knicks. No one else was able, really able to, to capitalize on that. But the next, but the next time that happened, I mean, Brunson's smart, man. He learns and you, you identified the play exactly. It was the one where he beat the trap and then he looked off a defender and hit Mitchell Robinson uh, for a dunk, just a wide open dunk that it's just not something, it's not the kind of offense that the Knicks have been able to create in the game's biggest moments in the past. And that was 100% Jalen Brunson being crafty, being just so skilled. I, I know, I mean, we've talked about it before, but like he is, he, his handle is impeccable. And I think the fact that he's, you know, so steady and doesn't turn the ball over. I'd say kind of that Bucks game a little notwithstanding. We can get into that a little bit, sort of when the, the competition ratchets up. But that Hornets game, to me, was, I think you're right on, the most encouraging thing I've seen. And I think just one thing to add to when talking about that play, that assist to, to Mitchell Robinson is, um, you know, going back to your point about how smart he, he is, the double team came from Plumley, And so Plumley was came to, to double team at like half court. And Brunson, knowing that he had, you know, the ability to get around that, got around that and Plumlee, who would have been guarding Mitchell Robinson. And so, you know, Gordon Hayward ended up on Robinson. So even if he didn't look Hayward off to the corner where I think Cam Reddish was, would have been open for a wide open three, it would have been Mitchell Robinson with Hayward on his back um, on the other side of the basket. So like he would, regardless, Mitchell Robinson still would have uh, had no, a wide open dunk. And um, that all stems from the fact that 
know, Brunson was able to identify that Plumley was came out on the double and he had the ability to to get around him and and uh, beat him to the basket. So that again is just something that we haven't seen that kind of creativity and and you know basketball IQ at the point guard position in you know who knows how long. Yeah, and I think you saw a lot of that in that Orlando game. I, I know immediately following that game, a lot of people were saying this is a game that the Knicks would have lost last year. Um, you know, someone who couldn't sort of stem the tide when the Magic were making a run in the fourth quarter. And, you know, Jalen Brunson sort of did that two games in a row, culminating in that in that Charlotte win. But, you know, I will say the most recent game that you and I have seen is that Milwaukee Bucks game. And that was more of a struggle for him. I think that when you have guys like Drew Holiday and um, oh, the the other point Devon guard, Carter. thank you, Carter, for the Bucks. Um, I mean, those guys are are elite defenders at the point of attack, and they're kind of exactly the sort of players that that Brunson struggles with. Where they have a little bit more length, but they're also very strong, right? Because Brunson, as we know, gets to his spots, he bumps guys, gets them off uh, off balance. He has a hard time doing that against bigger guys like Carter and Holiday, and I think that showed. You know, that was sort of the first game that we saw Brunson kind of look shaky. What did you make of that? Um, and again, I think a lot of people were pretty uh, down after the the um, Bucks game, but like I, I saw it as just an off game. Um, and there were some weird things that happened in that game, including both Jalen Brun- Jalen Brunson missed three free throws, which is very out of character, and Emmanuel quickly missed two out of four. Um, so I chalked that up to kind of just an off game. And you know, I, I agree that you know the the level of the defense stepped up with with Holiday and, and Carter, but at the same time, I'm not putting too much stock into one game, especially when, you know, the fact that those guys, and I don't know if I'm, I'm, you know, using this too much of an excuse, but the fact that those guys missed those free throws tell me that just something was off that game um, just because those guys are such knockdown free throw shooters. So, like, again, like one game, fam, I'm not as worried about it. I don't think that there's too much that we can take away, away from it, and I'm more encouraged by the kind of um, – culmination of what happened in the prior games than you know, getting anything out of this this one single game against again a very the, the only undefeated team still in the nba uh, and you know one of the best teams in the nba uh, regardless and you know the knicks as you said they they didn't really challenge but they kept it close and they kept it interesting and you know at no point was was milwaukee completely out of reach um so you know again i'm not i'm not taking too much negative out of this game other than you know, it wasn't their best night. Maybe it was because of the Bucks. Maybe it was because of something else. But again, I look at the free throws just because those are unguarded. It's not a, it's, you know, it kind of the same every game. And the fact that that happened for you know two of our best free throw shooters, it just tells them something was a little off. Yeah, I think that's the key is like who was taking those free throws. Because last year, as we know, the Knicks were, I think, bottom five or bottom six in the league in free throw percentage. And that's because guys like, I mean, RJ Barrett struggled from the line for much of the season. Mitch was was atrocious last year at the line. Even uh, Julius Randle, I think, may have even had a career low at the free throw line. So there were just there was some odd stuff going on there. But you know, Brunson and Quickly are just guys you expect to make their free throws. Not to say that the Knicks would have won that game had they made their free throws. There was a lot more to it than that. But you know, this was a not only are they like the best team in the league, they're five and zero. The Bucks. They also have the best defense in the league. They're giving up just one hundred and two. 0.6 points per 100 possessions. That's best by a pretty wide margin, um, because it's not like and the Knicks were over that. By the way, yeah, 
Well, yeah, I don't know that that was a normalized for a hundred possessions. So I'm not. Well, I I know I know going into that game they said they the Bucks were only giving up like I think right around there the one hundred two gotcha. two mark. So regardless, I think the Knicks were were above whatever the Bucks were giving up per game. Yeah, and it's not like we we mentioned uh you know Carter and Holiday, but it's not like their back line is a bunch of slouches, right? They've got Giannis back there. They've got Brooke Lopez, Bobby Portis. They're they're absolutely huge. They de- they actually destroyed us on the glass, which is not something you expect because the Knicks, that's kind of a forte of, of, you know, the Knicks team, but uh, there were 19 offensive rebounds by the Bucks, eight of those by Bobby Portis in 25 minutes. Um, that's pretty wild. So, you know, there were definitely some rebounding issues in that game. Um, it wasn't all, you know, free throw line stuff. There was, I think the Knicks also really struggled from the three point line. Um, actually not, let me see here. Looks like they, I think they shot pretty well. 34%. I should I should be more specific when I say, you know, RJ Barrett shot one of seven from three, Jalen Brunson one of four, Julius Randle 0 of two. So that's you know, two of thirteen from our three highest usage guys. That's that's an issue. Um the bench shot the ball really well. But um yeah, that kind of takes me to the, the next guy I want to talk about, which is Julius Randle. Um he came into the season as a major question mark. He was really good two years ago. He was really bad last year. And so I think that the question is kind of what Julius Randle have you seen so far? Has it been mostly good, mostly bad, kind of a, an, an even distribution of both? Or what, what are you looking at? Uh, man, it's so hard to say just because, like you said, it's – Prior years, he has been either very good or very bad. Um, and so far this season, like I have seen some of a lot of the good. If I'm being honest with you, he he's hit a lot of the shots that he made two years ago, but missed last year. You know those those kind of mid mid range jumpers and uh, kind of dribble into the paint and, and maybe a little little bit of a fadeaway. Um, so those moves he's been you know, hitting a little bit. Uh, but there's also been some just really bad ISOs that he's, you know, tried to try to force and he doesn't have to. Um, so it, it's hard to say. And, and there's there's also been a couple of games where, you know, he's played very much within the offenses. He's let Jalen Brunson kind of handle things um, on his own. So, like, I, I think the jury's still out. I don't really have a strong feeling, which is I know a big cop out. But uh, after after five games, I don't know if we have the answers to these questions is because. You know, I've seen a little bit of good and a little bit of bad, and it's it it's going to be interesting to see how it shakes out throughout the season. Yeah, and that might just be kind of a more, um, you know, that that's kind of more who he is as a player. It's more representative of him as a player. Like he's probably not that second team All NBA guy. I think that was, you know, he he got hot. It was a shortened season. Um, I, I also don't think he's as bad as he showed last year. It probably will end up being somewhere in the middle. To your point, he has shown that he's uh, he's playing a little differently in terms of hustling down court. Like he's he's making plays, he's making unselfish plays. He's getting back on defense. Um, there, there's been some very encouraging signs there, things that we didn't necessarily see last year. He's pushing the ball, uh, you know, making it a point to really you know grab and go versus sort of slowly walking it up and getting into the offense really late and sort of putting the offense behind the eight ball um you know he's a he's kind of a tricky player to, to analyze because there are so many ups and downs i think that you know a couple of things 
Offensively, he isn't shooting quite as many mid-rangers. There's still some of the head-scratching ones, to your point. He went ISO on Giannis in this game, where it's just like, that's not good offense for anybody in the league, let alone you, Julius Randle. So let's let's kind of leave that behind. But, um, you know, there there's also, you know, kind of one funny thing that I think is actually a good sign is that his assist percentage is down. He's not assisting on nearly as many of the Knicks made field goals as he has in years past. And to your point, that's because he is deferring to Jalen Brunson. He The offense isn't entirely running through him. So he's not getting these kind of inflated assist totals that, you know, don't necessarily lead to winning basketball, though they will look good in a stat sheet. He's, he's playing more within the concept of the team. And I think, and I'm hoping to see that continue because even though his jump shots not really falling right now, I think, I think he's shooting just dreadfully from three. He's, he's making 27% of his threes on the season on about four and a half attempts per game. So pretty, pretty decent volume there. Um, I would, I think that's going to tick up. I think jump shots are going to start falling and that new sort of mindset, this sort of team first mindset is going to really show through at that point. Yeah. And, and one other thing I want to point out is like, I know a lot of, I feel like I I saw a lot on Twitter of people who were just kind of uh, very negative about his game against uh, Milwaukee and kind of to your point to the, the ISO against uh, Giannis, but um, it's worth pointing out that he only took 10 shots in that game, which last year would have been definitely towards the, the lower end of the spectrum in terms of the shots he got up. So I think that's just a recognition that he didn't have the matchup. And, you know, because he didn't have the matchup, he deferred to other players to, to get those shots rather than forcing them. Although, like like we said, there were were a couple of those situations where he did force them. And um, I know a couple of his his attempts did come on you know offensive rebounds and and uh, and things like that. So it, it was all very much, well, not all of it, but most of it was very much within the offense, which I think is an encouraging sign, even though you know, he only shot three of 10. Yeah, and I think we should point out that like Knicks fans didn't turn on Julius Randle because he was missing shots last year. That was, you know, like I think you know, RJ Barrett misses a lot of shots and, and we'll get to him shortly. But I think that it had more to do with kind of the the attitude or the just the the mentality and uh you know part of that showed through on defense last year he was it didn't look like the effort was always there i think it was not there more often than not um i think this year you're seeing a player who is a little bit more engaged i think that a lot of people point this out on twitter whether it's um dallas amico from the strickland or benji ritholtz from nick's film school julius randall is not good in in drop coverage like that's just splitting the difference between you know i'm talking about when a pick and roll happens and he has to kind of contain the ball handler while also keeping in mind the his rolling big man um behind him that's something that mitchell robinson is a lead at he has the length and kind of the instincts for it julius randall does not julius randall is a player who needs to be switching more often he is quick on his feet comparatively he's able to stay with ball handlers and so he's being asked to do something that he's objectively not good at. And I think that that has really kind of hurt his, um, just the way he looks defensively. Um, the other thing is it's been kind of bizarre because even when he's in the right position this year, he's really not contesting shots at the rim. Um, he's, I just looked it up on, on NBA.com. He's, defen- he's guarding four shots per game at the rim and giving up 95% field goal percentage, which is by far the worst in the league. 
he just he's keeping his arms down and like not really contesting at the rim. So that I think is hopefully something they're going to clean up because um, that's sort of just like an effort thing. Um, and that's kind of been my biggest complaint of his so far is just on the back line. He's really struggled. Um, but- and I'll I'll jump in in defense of Julius Randle here. Um, like 95% is not a number that will sustain throughout the season. So I think we can kind of give that a small sample size. Uh exclusion um i think that number will come down but also julius Randle, to your point is not a shot blocker throughout his entire career he you know the highest he ever averages 0.6 blocks per game so he's not a shot blocker he's not going to be great defending around the rim to your uh, what you're saying before like i think he is more of a he has to use his strength to prevent people from getting to the rim um but you know in terms of of the effort point you made you know they're in addition to kind of the, the clips you're talking about, about you know him in drop coverage. There's also been clips of him just running the floor, even if there's no benefit to him. So um, I, I, I forget um, who clipped it. It might have been you know something from Tommy Beer or something like that. But there was one play where you know he you see him run on offense to during the fast break. Someone else gets the bucket, and then he ran, sprinted back on defense to get back before uh, the offense had a chance to set up. And that's something, again, that we didn't really see last year. There was a lot of kind of, um, you know, him complaining if things didn't go his way and moping in the in the backcourt and then taking his time getting back. And so far this season, I think that that has not really been the case. Um, we can argue about how good his defense has been, but I think he has been, uh, you know, at least um, putting in the hustle to, to get to his spots when he needs to. Yeah, and, and the biggest thing has been that attitude. We're seeing him laugh and smile and interact with his teammates. There's not so much of like a, kind of a dour cloud hanging over him and sort of infecting his teammates like it did last season. Like this year he is, he seems to be like embracing a more leadership role and uh, it's, it's been very encouraging to see. And so I'm, yeah, even though the shots haven't really been dropping so far this season, I think that that is more sample, small sample size stuff. And those, especially the shots from three, like those numbers are going to tick up and he's going to look like uh, a much better player and certainly much better player than he was last year. Um, and that's a helpful player. That's, you know, I don't know if it's the best player on this team, but it's right up there and a very valuable piece. So um, I think kind of along those lines, kind of going off a of slow starts, I think that maybe the, the biggest concern right now that Knicks fans have has been RJ Barrett's slow start. You know, he, he's someone who just secured a decent contract. It, it was far from the max, but um, you know, it was over a hundred million dollars. He's, he started slow. Like he's looked bad on offense. He's looked at times selfish. He's shooting, he's taking over five and a half threes per game and shooting 14% on those. I mean, that is, that's about as bad as it gets. Um, his drives haven't looked all that much better in preseason. It looked like he had really improved his touch. His three ball looked great. And then the season started and and things have really gone south. He's not assisting on nearly as many um, drives as he has in the past. And overall, like defensively, he hasn't even been that engaged either. There was kind of a report going around. I don't know the validity of it. It was reported by Heavy, Heavy.com. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt. But um, that people people around the team or people around R.J. Barrett were pointing to Barrett needing to defend the opposing team's best perimeter player, you know, especially 
because of uh, Evan Fournier and, and Jalen Brunson not being the best defenders, that R.J. Barrett had to step into this new defensive stopper role, and that was impacting his offensive play. I don't buy that for even a moment. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll see when, when Grimes comes back. Hopefully he comes back into the, the starting five. But, we, again, we'll, we'll talk about that in a moment. But, Kenny, are you – talk me down on R.J. Barrett, or maybe you're with me that this actually has been a pretty concerning start. Again, it's a small sample size, man. Um, a few years ago, what did I feel like it was like an O for thirty-two start from three or something like that from from uh, or maybe it was an O for thirty-two stretch from RJ Barrett early in the season. Um, he has done this historically from three, uh, so I'm not worried about that. I think eventually he comes around because he has proven in the past that he is a better shooter than he. Did in you know these kind of early season streaks uh what's more concerning to me is the uh, not being able to finish at the rim because i think you know that that has been something that he's done in the past it's something that he said he worked on uh this off season and it's something that he definitely needs to be able to do um just because you know he, that is his game like he gets to the rim and then he gets you know occasionally he gets wide open threes and if he can't hit the wide open threes and if he can't get to the rim and finish the bu- bucket, then it's going to be a problem for him. Um, again, I don't, I, to your point on the, the heavy dot thing, I don't buy that at all. Um, I feel like for large stretches of last season, he was also guarding the team's, the other team's best perimeter defender. And, you know, he, he was very good last year um, for, through uh, long stretches. So that was a big nothing to me. And I think in, um, in Macri's, uh, one of his, you know, uh, daily messages or emails or newsletters is what the, what they're called. Uh, he mentioned that and basically said that like whatever the, the source was, they mentioned that like it was not connected to the team at all. It was just some person who like had this speculation that might know someone on the team. Like whatever it was, it was very clear that, that it didn't really like the source was not a legitimate source. So um, I'm not going to buy into that at all. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. Um, not even re- probably not even worth bringing up, but I, I think that if you were to try and make an excuse for RJ Barrett, y- you could try and point to that. Like he was defending John Morant a good amount in that first game. Um, he was he was not defending Cade Cunningham. They actually put Jalen Brunson on Cade Cunningham in that game, but um, he was. Uh, I mean, he's he's had to guard faster players, and I think that's it's hard to to argue that that's the case, but um, I don't know that if you want to look for something encouraging, he is shooting close to 80% on nearly five free throws a game. And he's hit some really clutch ones in that Charlotte game. He had an opportunity to do a dribble handoff with Jalen Brunson, who was going to get fouled. He, he held onto it instead, um, whether that was the right decision or not, but he knocked down both free throws. And so he kind of vindicated himself there. Um, so that's encouraging because that's, that's another area where he really needed to improve year over year he was down closer to 70 percent last year and he gets to the line a lot to your point he's always putting his head down and driving um but you can tell that it's it's gotten to him a little bit that he has not been converting you you can see some of his reactions even when his misses are are cleaned up by like a mitch or hartenstein he's still like very frustrated with himself when he's missing these free throw these uh these bunnies frankly um so I guess the thing is, Kenny, like, I, I don't want to overreact to it, but it, the frustrating part is just 
in year four, you're you're gonna hope for just a little bit more consistency in, in early years. I think you can get away with like, oh, it's a slow start. He's still young, and he is still young. He's 22 years old, but by year four, you're you're hoping that you just start to see more consistency from this guy, and you're gonna know what you're gonna get game to game. And he's just not quite there yet. And I think it. I think fans are justifiably frustrated. I I don't think that um I don't think he's gonna continue at this level, or I don't think he's a negative player on the season. But it's hard to. I mean, through five games, he has unquestionably unquestionably been a negative player he's hurt the team's chances of winning and it's just not it's not how you want to see your young stud begin the year yeah and again like i'm gonna cop out behind the it's only been five games things and i think you're right i think over the course of the season he will be better um but i i'm not gonna fault anyone for being frustrated with with how he's played so far because i'm i'm frustrated that when he misses layups i'm frustrated when he misses wide open threes. I just don't think that that is going to continue throughout the season where it's going to be this ineffective because it, it just can't. It's not, I don't think it's possible. Yeah. So we can move to the the next guy. The other guy we, we paid from last year's team and that's Mitchell Robinson. Uh, I, I'm curious what you've thought of his start so far, if he's kind of played up to his contract, um, whether, whether, yeah, you think that that was money well spent or if um, you know the center market can be, we, we've got a, a guy in Jericho Sims, for example, who we also signed to a, a proper NBA contract, who's just kind of chilling on the bench, getting zero minutes in the rotation. Isaiah Hartenstein um, coming off the bench, playing a lot of minutes. So, how have you felt about Mitchell Robinson so far? Uh, I feel like when Miss Mitchell Robinson is on the court, he has been a very positive player. Um, I think, you know, his ability to grab offensive rebounds and just generally grab rebounds in traffic against other teams um, is, you know, tops in the league. He he's, has to be at the, towards the top of the league in terms of you know, his ability to, to get contested rebounds. Um, the problem is, and it, it's been a problem for him in the past, not so much last year is like, he just hasn't been able to stay on the court early in a lot of these games. I think he's been getting, he got in foul trouble in at least two of these games in the, the first half. And, you know, because of that, his minutes have, have been down and, you know, I think it really hurts the team, um, in some instances when he's not in, I know, I think, you know, I don't know if we're going to talk about Hardenstein at some point, but he's been very good, but at the same time, he's not Mitchell Robinson when it comes to, you know, his, his ability to, to put pressure on um, the defense on the offensive boards or to put, you know, um, to block shots on the defensive end. I think, you know, going into yesterday, I think he was second or going into the Milwaukee game, he was second to um, Brooke Lopez in blocks uh, per game. And, you know, that's just, you know, those are things that, um, you know, a Tibbs team is built on, like specifically having a shot blocker in the center to funnel, funnel uh, the offense towards. Um, and you know, I have been very encouraged by his play and kind of his, and, you know, I know he's talked a lot about, um, after he got the contract, people question whether you're still going to put in the effort. And he says he did put in the effort and it looks like he did. He's in kind of great shape in terms of getting up and down the court. I don't think he's looked as exhausted as he, as he did early last year. And I think, I mean, even, even early last year, I think the problem was that he worked out too hard to put on weight. Um, whereas that's not really his game. I think his game is more his his kind of quick twitch muscles and his ability to to get up quickly and anticipate things like that. 
Um, so I don't think, you know, last year's early season struggles were, were due to a lack of effort. I think it was just um, misplaced effort. Whereas this season, I think, you know, he, everything is, is very well, you know, um, everything's coming together well. It's just he has to find a way to, to stay on the court a little, a little more often. And, and the, one of the biggest problems for me is that a lot of the, a lot of the fouls are just stupid fouls. You know, like um, there's been a few where he's just challenged things that he didn't need to challenge. And because of that, he's getting, picking up some, some chippies. Yeah. I think that's well said about misplaced effort uh, last year. Um, he does look incredible this year when he's on the floor, he's, he looks bouncy. He looks strong. Um, Hart, Hartenstein doesn't even compare as a rebounder. Um, and that's why we've kind of struggled grabbing boards when, when Mitch is sat. Um, it was the Memphis game. He picked up five fouls and only was able to play 12 minutes. That, that really hurt the team. Uh, that really hurt the team, especially against someone like Steven Adams, who's just a monster. And then uh, in, versus Milwaukee, he was being asked to do something pretty much impossible for him. And that's guard Giannis to start the game. I know he wanted that assignment. He wants to think of himself as uh, that. I think Mike Green said that he wanted to, he thinks of himself as like a defensive player of the year candidate. And if you're going to do that, you better defend the opposing team's best big. And so he wanted to start on Giannis and that didn't really pan out. First of all, I mean, Giannis, he, he does get calls. This guy is a multiple time MVP. If there's contact, Giannis is going to, see a lot of whistles you know what i mean so like whether all those were were fouls or not i think is maybe even questionable but you have to expect that game planning for milwaukee is it the best use of mitchell robinson to have him guard Giannis uh on the ball or should he be more of a help defender which is really his strength like him rotating and blocking shots as an you know off the ball that's what he's best at um you know, it, it was, it's not like the Knicks had a lot of great options to defend Giannis, but Julius Randle's very strong, as we've said, and he can be physical. He doesn't have the length to guard Giannis. Very few do, so it would take the whole team's effort, but having Mitchell Robinson start on him really did put him in a tough spot, and he picked up five fouls in just 20 minutes in that game versus Milwaukee. But in the games prior is where we saw him really shine. He played... Uh, about 30 minutes and 37 minutes versus Orlando and Charlotte, respectively. And he looked just dominant. I, I thought he was just an absolute monster versus Orlando. Um, he had 14 points, three blocks, just six boards. But his presence, he allows for a lot of the guards to grab rebounds. And the Knicks have been really focusing on on grabbing the ball and pushing in transition. And so... Um, you know, just it just happens more with Mitchell Robinson on the floor. He's able to kind of put a body on a big, box them out, and and the and funnel the rebounds to guards, which is hugely helpful. Um, and then again, Charlotte, he had six blocks, and you could just tell he impacts. I mean, guys think twice before bringing the ball to Mitchell Robinson. Like he really um, changes guys' shots around the rim, and uh, people hear footsteps. Like even when he's not blocking shots. He's changing shots, and uh, I'm, I've been encouraged with how he looks. I, I'm, I completely agree with you that he's had some just kind of, you know, lapses in judgment and, and some really bad fouls. I think he had one against Brooke Lopez where he just fell asleep, allowed a, a cut along the baseline. Brooke Lopez caught the ball for a wide-open layup, and there was no chance that Mitchell Robinson could contest it. He tried anyway and got the foul. And um, it's just not, it wasn't the time or place for that. We need him on the floor. So that'll be something for us to monitor going forward is, is how well he's able to stay on the court. Um, 
yeah, I think you know we've been going for a while. I think last thing we, we should probably talk about second unit, maybe maybe some rotation stuff. Um, I know people are are often complaining about Tibbs rotations. I did on uh, on Twitter myself during that Milwaukee game. So I, I'm curious, Kenny, uh, whether it's IQ or OB or Derek Rose, is there anything that has surprised you from a second unit rotation standpoint so far? Um, I mean, I think the what has to be the most surprising thing is how few minutes Derek Rose is playing. Um, I don't necessarily think that it's a bad thing just because I think you know he has been for his entire career so kind of limiting his minutes and, and using him when when best necessary and maybe building him up a little bit um, to, to play some some higher minutes in other games uh, I think is fine um, but I, all of it goes back to what kind of tips his mo has been throughout his his career as a coach is that he's going to play his uh best players as much as he possibly can. And having Jalen Brunson as one of your best players is going to limit the amount that you need Derek Rose to be out there. And I think it's the same across the board. Um, you know, for, for however good you think that Obi Toppin is, I think it's pretty, I don't think it's very arguable that Julius Randle is the better player right now. Um, and because of that, Julius Randle is going to get the lion's share of the minutes over Obi Toppin. It, it, that's just going to be the way it is. Um, I'm kind of surprised that people are surprised at this at this point. Um, and, you know, I just, I'm not sure how else you handle that. Cause like, I, I understand the, the urge to play Obi Toppin some more minutes and to play uh, Emmanuel quickly some more minutes, but I'm, I think quickly there's more of an argument, but for, for Obi Toppin, he's just like, he's a, he's a good player in spurts. He's been hitting his shot, which again, if that is sustainable, it's a game changer. I am not convinced yet that it is sustainable, uh, despite the fact that he ended last year hot and he has started this year hot. Like if he continues it through the season, we can have another discussion about this. But after five games, I'm not really going to give him that benefit of the doubt because right now no one is even challenging him at the three point line. And until they until they start to do uh, start to do that, then like I'm not really I don't know whether to believe in that. And because again, because Julius Randle's the better player, because Jalen Brunson is the, is the better player, those are the guys who are going to get the most minutes. Um, yeah, and, well, uh, I think it's important to note that it's like who Tom Thibodeau sees as the better player because, I mean, I know you said Emmanuel quickly has more of a case. Like, he's he's been better than Evan Fournier to start this season. I, not, not shooting from three, so if you're saying, like, we just need three-point shooting at the cost of everything else, then then there's your argument for Evan Fournier who's hitting about 37.5% on six, 6.4 threes per game. That's a high volume. He hits tough threes. No one's going to sit here and say Evan Fournier doesn't hit threes. <laughs> the problem is that what he does on the other end and what else he does on the offensive end when he's not shooting threes has been very problematic. He's turned the ball over a lot in, in pick and rolls. He just hasn't looked solid with his dribble at all. I feel like it's been very loose. Um, and, you know, his, his – shooting from two is not, I mean, on the, on the whole, he's shooting 38% from the field. Um, that does include a high volume of threes, like I mentioned, but the problem is defensively, like we saw against Milwaukee, he wasn't even, it didn't even look like he was competing. He doesn't have the physicality. Not every team is the Milwaukee bucks. I get that, but like it's, it is representative of Evan Fournier's style of defense. It's too much finesse and too much like he'll, he'll gamble and get steals every once in a while but it's not worth it on the other end because he's just, he's not even, he's a non-entity on defense. Whereas Emmanuel quickly has been very good on that end. Like he got in the passing lane several times. He's been an elite defensive rebounder 
at the at the shooting guard position, and he's starting to find his stroke a little bit. So, I mean, I, I know I don't need to sit here and cape for quickly. I think most fans agree that quickly should get minutes over Fournier. But I do want to address what you're saying about Obi Toppin because, you know, Julius Randle is certainly a better player than Obi Toppin. He demands more attention um, from opposing defenses. He's a more versatile offensive weapon. He's a much better rebounder. Toppin, I think, struggles to, to box out sometimes. He did that against Milwaukee and just couldn't, wouldn't grab a board. Um, that, was a, that was a huge issue. But I, I will say that you know when Toppin is playing as well as he was against Milwaukee on the offensive end and, Ju- and Julius Randle was struggling as much as he was on the offensive end, like it, it's hard to not see a little bit of a more even distribution. Like Obi Toppin came in, hit three out of five threes, and just was playing with an energy and an effort that we've seen so many times before where it's like, get him to 20. Like what's the, you know, there's no real downside to getting this guy to 20 minutes. People aren't asking for Toppin to play Randall level minutes. It's just, you know, when, when you see him going like that, it hurts to, to, to sit him because we know what we invested in this guy, the, the eighth overall pick that, you know, picked him ahead of some very good players who were not reaches at eight. You know, when sometimes when people do the, oh, the Knicks could have had Donovan Mitchell or they could have had so-and-so, it's like, yeah, a lot of teams missed on that. But there are guys with in the Obi Toppin range who we knew were in the Obi Toppin range, I'll say Halliburton, Devin Vassell, um, who very easily could have gone there and who are really shining in their in their minutes. So it's, it's just, it's frustrating to not see Toppin get the opportunity to do the same. Yeah. I mean, I, I fully understand that. And I, you know, to some extent, I agree to you, agree with you, but at the same time, that wasn't, it wasn't Tibbs who made the decision to draft Obi Toppin. So I don't think Tibbs very much cares about the the draft capital. I think what he cares about is that Julius Randle is a better player. And because Julius Randle is a better player, he's going to put him in for those minutes. And, you know, I think, it's. It, I feel like in prior seasons we have seen him go a little bit with a hot hand towards the end of the game, which we haven't really seen with Julius Randle. And I think you know that goes back to there's an argument. Um, I think it's it's a weaker argument now than it's been in years past. But there's an argument that Julius Randle is your best player, and you're not going to put your best player on the bench during crunch time. You're just not. And Obi Toppin will not play with Julius Randle because they play the same position and that's how Tibbs sees it. Like whether you can shift one of them to the five or maybe even go super large and have you know one of them play the three, like they don't see that as a viable option. And so I just, that it, it's all just, it's a very tough um, position to be in. Cause like, I, I just don't think you can bench Julius Randle down the stretch. Like to your point, can you give him a few extra minutes um, before the last few minutes? Like maybe. Um, and I think, you know, uh, matchups might play a little bit into that, but it's just so hard to bench your best player going down the stretch. Well, and matchups should play a part into it. I think there should be some more of flexibility depending on who you're going against. Like it, this Milwaukee team had a front court of Giannis, Bobby Portis, and Brooke Lopez all in at the same time at points during that game. That was huge. The Knicks were getting destroyed on the glass. Maybe you do experiment a little bit because what we was what we were doing wasn't working. Like to not remain stubborn in those moments i think is it is a value is a is a virtue for coaches and if you're ever going to try ob randall and mitch or ob randall hartenstein that's the time to do it is against the opposing team when they're jumbo sized and destroying us on the glass 
Yeah. Um, so I just think that, yeah, there's, there's definitely, I think the criticism of Tibbs is warranted um, definitely to an extent. And um, it, it is matchup dependent. You can't always run that out because that's just not going to work defensively. I think in this instance, it could have, but um, I don't know. Preseason, I, I took the over on Mitch over 20 minutes per game. That is uh, making me look extraordinarily foolish. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's and, a little bit of a bummer. I'll, I, I very much agree with you. And again, I, I think I'm on the tips defender here, um, but I very much agree with you that if you're going to run out that large lineup with uh, both Julius Randle and Obi Top in the game with potentially a Metro Hartenstein, that was the opportunity to do it. But I get Tibbs' hesitancy to do that because you don't want the other team to force you to do something that you're not, that's not your thing. And I think that Tibbs thinks that that's not their thing. So they're going to play to their strengths and make those guards, those guys, um, you know, Bobby Portis is going to have to defend someone smaller, smaller and quicker than he is um, or something like that. Um, but I, like, I can see that argument, but I agree with you that, you know, this is something that they should be trying out. And if they were going to try it out, that was the opportunity to do it. All right, Kenny, anything else we need to hit on the Knicks side? I know we're going to – we'll have some Knicks-Cavs recap content, whether that was before this or after this. We'll, we'll see how BBD produces it. But um, I, any, anything else you want to talk about? I mean, I feel like we're going long, but I want to just throw in um, a quick, quick thing. Hartenstein, I love his effort. He puts in so much effort. He hits the floor more than any other player in the league that I've seen, um, which is something that you don't see from a center in particular. A lot of times like guards will get scrappy and hit the floor, but this as a center, like hitting the floor, everything love the effort. And uh, last thing, I don't know if we want to get too much into it, but um, Cam Reddish, the Cam Reddish question is still open uh, as Grimes is out. And it's also, I, I believe a Fournier question. Um, and, you know, to be determined as to where these minutes go, because uh, Tibbs said in one of the pressers, um, post-game pressers, that, you know, you're not going to go to a 12-man lineup. He was talking specifically about Jericho Sims and uh, Deuce McBride not playing, and he said, you know, that you can't get that many guys into a lineup. And when Grimes comes back, you're going to have 11 guys, arguably 13 if you include McBride and Sims who aren't playing already. That could be in the rotation. Um, and someone is probably going to drop out and it's unclear who that's going to be. I would guess that it's Cam Reddish, but you know, to your point, Fournier hasn't been playing well. I don't, I think you have invested too much money in him to, to bench him. I think more likely he would continue to play and maybe you would try to trade him. This is pure speculation. I know nothing. Um, but I, I, it's going to be interesting to see how that shakes out because Cam Reddish, he's not played great in every game. He put, he had a few very good games, um, but he has played well enough to, to make you wonder if he should be in the rotation. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you on Hardenstein. He's been a joy to watch the, the hustle, the floaters. Um, he sets pretty good screens comparatively to the rest of the team. Um, I, I, he's a great backup big, really, really nice um, center off the bench. I like him in that role. Uh, Reddish. I'm going to, I'm going to want to table the conversation about Reddish. I mean, there doesn't have to be a decision made yet. Grimes is still out for this Cleveland game as well. Um, so that kind of kicks the can down the road, kicks the cam down the road. A little oh. bit. That's stupid. Um, but, you know, I, I do just want to see a little bit more because he's someone who I just, night to night, I have no idea what to expect from him. 
he'll he'll do something that blows your mind and then do something that boggles your mind right after it. So I I just want to see a little, a little bit more of him in this rotation before I kind of make a determination. So we can t- table that for next week. Um, and yeah, Kenny, with that, let we can talk quickly if there's anything else in terms of uh, what else is on uh, America's favorite sub podcast. I know, like you said, we are long and I don't have much to say here, but is there anything you want to recommend to the folks? So I, uh, I have, I do have one thing, um, which is, I don't know if you've ever heard of a show called Avenue five on uh, HBO. I had never heard of it and I was just looking for something to watch. I threw it on. Um, it's got a pretty, pretty good cast. Uh, including Hugh Laurie, who was Dr. House on House. Uh, it's got Josh Gad, who was also a very famous person. And uh, it has, um, I'm forgetting his name, but the guy who played Gabe in uh, The Office. Zach Woods. Uh, Zach Woods is also on there. And it's it's a comedy. It's a funny show. Um, it's these uh, people who go into space on like a, it's in the future. They go into space for like an eight-week tour around some planet uh, and they get thrown off course. So they're out in space, caught in space for a longer period of time. And uh, it's just about some of the shenanigans that happens there uh, as it goes along. And it's, it's so far, it's been, you know, quite entertaining for me. It's a, it's a nice little um, nothing too deep. You know, it's not, it's not the good place with a lot of deep messages, but it's, it's got some, some social commentary and some, some good comedy. So I've really been enjoying that so far. Yeah, I see it's created by the same guy who created Veep. So I know that's a very popular show. People love that. So it probably has a similar sensibility to that. That sounds like a good recommendation. Um, yeah, last thing I'll say, my, my wife and I, try, we, don't, we haven't watched a movie since our son was born. And so we tried to watch a movie. And we're like, what, what kind of movie? We don't want anything heavy. Like, we just want something kind of light. And so we put on this movie that came out over the summer. is called Dog with Channing Tatum. Have you heard about this, Kenny? Yep. I, uh, I'm familiar with it. I haven't seen it, but seen I'm it. familiar. Um, and, you know, we, we, we saw, first of all, the, pre, the trailer looked kind of silly. Like maybe it wasn't that good of a movie, but it's a PG-13 light comedy. And then the critics gave it, I'm looking at Rotten Tomatoes, our favorite site, 77% from critics, 89% from audience. So we're like, that's really good for almost a dumb comedy. You know, you rarely see that kind of agreement between critics and audiences. And we popped it on and watched about an hour. So over half of it. And we were like, this, this sucks. Like, <laughs> like, I don't know. I, I thought that the dog was the best actor, which was not, I, I like, I love dogs, but it was not the best look. So much of the dialogue just felt like it was being read off a script. I, I couldn't get into it. I couldn't get into the characters. I was like, none, none of these people are acting like, normal people would act and that's it wasn't the type of movie you know like a like a Judd Apatow style comedy where you you know you would never question someone's actions there because it's all so silly this this movie didn't have the same kind of framework it was like trying to be grounded but also here's this zany dog and nothing really it, it didn't work for me at all I didn't enjoy it we shut it off we agreed and shut it off after an hour so um, I don't know. Not a dog. I, I love dogs. I, ha- I have a dog. Love her. Didn't love the movie Dog. That's that's funny. Uh, and I think it, I don't know, for me, like stopping a movie with no intention to continue it 
is a big deal because like it's not something that I'm capable of doing. I need to know what happens. So I, I'm not sure if that's the case for you, but that sounds like a very much, the, well, I don't know what the opposite of a ringing endorsement is, but it sounds like that. Well, so I am usually a completist on stuff like that, but but Rose, my wife, is not. She, if she doesn't want to, she doesn't want to invest further time in something, right? There's kind of some sunk, was it called sunk cost theory yep. in there? Um, but yeah, the, I if I were by myself, I probably would have finished it. But Rose was like, "What is this? What are we doing?" And I and I agreed. I was like, "This isn't good, actually." So we just popped on New Girl instead. Back on that. Um, but yeah, we're, that should do it for today. Uh, we appreciate all of you listening, whether you're on YouTube or a podcast app. We ask that you please subscribe, uh, leave a review or a comment or a thumbs up or anything. Anything helps. Um, and and stay tuned for, for more Knicks coverage throughout this season. We'll have more content dropping soon. Until then, uh, hey, let's go Knicks. Knicks take.